Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is The Bad News Bears. The Bad News Bears, and you'll see why in a few minutes. 2 Kings 2, 23 to 25. And I looked at this passage. It's an it's a interesting passage. Uh, it's, uh, there's bears involved, obviously. There have been many terrible bear attacks throughout uh, history, including in the United States. In fact, one of the most well-known ones was the attack on Hugh Glass. The grizzly bear attacked Hugh Glass. They actually made it into a movie, The Revenant. Uh, Movie was good, but the book is really good. Read the book because it really, the book's even better. It's amazing what this guy went through. Even today, though, some people are attacked by bears. There's hikers out. They stumble upon a bear fishing, right? And they, you know, the, the fish or, or berries, eating berries, and, and you stumble upon a bear, and there's still some pretty horrific bear attacks even now. Uh, I, I always get a little nervous because I, I take our kids out berry picking a lot. If you've ever seen me out there, we're, we're always picking berries. And, and I know all the best berry places. And my joke with the kids always is, come on, ba- berries for breakfast. We gotta get up, gotta beat the bears to the berries. You know, that's our saying, beat the bears to the berries. But a lot of times I'll go out because I can get up really early and, and we have a secret berry patch. And it's an amazing, amazing berry patch. I could take you sometime, but you have to be blindfolded. And you'll have to walk about a mile through the creeks and woods and everything. And then I'll take the blindfolds off. You'll be amazed. But i got to put it back on because you can't find It's a secret berry patch. But uh, I take, some of you have been there actually. But the, uh, I take the kids there. But sometimes I'll get up early in the morning before they get up. And I'll go out and pick a bucket. You can get like a bucket like so quickly. It's amazing. Like in a half an hour, I can fill a bucket. There's just so many berries in this place. It's an amazing spot. And, uh, but sometimes as I'm picking berries early in the morning, 5.30, 6 o'clock, nobody around. You hear animals and stuff. There's a lot of deer out there. They like berries too. Uh, but sometimes I'll see an interesting scat on the ground. For those city slickers, that means uh, poop, all right? And I'll, I'll see this, this scat on the ground and I'll be like, that's not a deer. What is that? It's big and it's scary looking. And I'm like... That could be a bear because, you know, they come over, they swim over the river from Jersey. I know New Jerseyites aren't afraid of bears, but, but over here in PA, we are getting nervous. And, uh, and I, I'm always nervous. I hear these noises. I'm looking around just expecting a bear eating the berries and, and I'm going to have to fight this bear off. Or the, it makes me nervous because that happens. But most bear attacks are what we would call accidental. Uh, you stumble upon them. But we're going to see a horrific attack in the Bible today that is no accident. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for your your Holy Spirit and just ask that your spirit would take your word and touch our hearts and and, and really bring your word alive to us today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here we go. I know you can't wait to hear this now, in case you didn't read ahead. Uh, 2 Kings 2.23. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Go on up, you bald head, they said. Go on up, you bald head. He turned around and looked at them and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. And he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Okay, Uh, this should be edifying. Anyway, uh, here we go. First of all, Bethel. He's in Bethel, verse 23, and that means... 
house of God, right? House of God, that's where Jacob saw Stairway to Heaven, right? That's when he wrote that song down. They Led Zeppelin copied it. But, but anyway, he, uh, that's, that's where it comes. Stairway to Heaven, you know, the, the ladder to Heaven. That's where he saw it. And it's, uh, it was a very special place spiritually. It's where a lot of spiritual things happen. We've talked about this many, many times. It was a place of special communion. We have communion today. And it's a reminder that this is a special place of communion. But it had now become a place of idolatry and apostasy. In fact, uh, we'll look at the passage here back in 1 Kings, 1 Kings 12, starting with verse 26. And listen to what happens here. Now, Solomon had a son, and God had judged Solomon because of his idolatry, so he took away ten of the, the tribes. He took them away from Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and he gave them to Jeroboam, all right? And that's where you ended up with the northern ten and the southern two. And Jeroboam, though, doesn't want to lose the kingdom because he thinks if everybody goes on down to the temple every year, they're going to stay loyal to Rehoboam. And so he comes up with a plan which involves the worship of God. Verse 26, Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up and offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people went even as far as Dan to worship the one there. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the 15th day of the 8th month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. So he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings." So we see what happened. The, the golden calves. What does that remind us of? Yeah, Egypt, Exodus, Aaron, the golden calf. They were still worshiping in their minds Jehovah, but just in the image of a golden calf. They were still in their minds, well, we still worship God. We're just worshiping this, this, this golden calf. It was very common for the idols in Palestine to be calves and cows. Why? I don't know. I grew up on a farm. I don't know why anybody pray to a cow. But anyway, uh, which, which is exactly what God said not to do. Don't make any images representing me. I don't need anything to be seen. I'm, I'm the one true God. No idols. They, but... That's what they did. They, they, he did this and he used, he kind of twisted. He said, we're still worshiping Jehovah. Just going to look at this golden calf at the same time. And that's how you're going to re- no, visualize who you're praying to. Shocking, isn't it? Can you imagine this happening today? In the USA today? Making God into an image of, of what we want him to look like or what we want him to act like. Right? Creating our own God, our own supreme being. Can you imagine that happening in, even in, in America today? In, in a church, in God's church, can you imagine twisting God's word to fit how we want to live? Who, 
This is hard. I can't believe how dumb these Israelites were. Can you? Uh, and and twisting God's word so that we fit with the rest of the culture. We we would never do that today. Anywho, these are these Israelites were really something, weren't they? Verse twenty three. Let's look at verse twenty three here. It gets really interesting here. You're going to learn some things you probably didn't know. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Go on up, you bald head, they said. Go on up, you bald head. All right, so here at apostate Bethel, idolatry, apostasy, at this very spot, a youth mob comes out and starts mocking Elisha. Really threatening him, mocking him, you know, verbally attacking him. Now let's connect some dots here. An apostate church or apostate temple at this time plus an idolatrous culture equals a generation that mocks God. I'm going to say it again. An apostate church, USA Today, plus an idolatrous culture USA Today, equals a generation that mocks God, mocks his word, mocks his prophets. And we are seeing the same effects today, aren't we? Look at the college campuses. Chuck with his ministry in the colleges. Look at the college campuses. It's in the news constantly. What's going on? They, these, these students, these groups mock Christianity and they, they, uh, att- uh, mock, uh, they attack anyone or any group that holds to biblical values. And on these same college campuses all across America, even in some so-called Christian campuses, this is happening. And they are also attacking the Jews now. The anti-Semitism is rampant on the college campuses. If you're not aware of that, you better have your head in a hole. You know, you're like an ostrich. It's everywhere. It reminds me of the Nazi youth back in, it reminds me of the Nazi youth in Germany back when they were setting up for, for the, Hitler. It reminds you of that. It's, it's, that's what's happening in these college campuses. And so back to this youth mob attacking Elisha, this Antifa group here, attacking Elisha, mocking Elisha. They say, go up, go up, go up. What are they saying? They knew what happened with Elijah. Elijah. He went up. And they're saying, follow him up, Elisha. Get out of here. Beam yourself up. We don't want you around here. We don't want you. We don't want your God. We don't want anything. And they really rub it in by calling him a bald head. All right? Now, baldness in ancient Israel was very rare. Very rare. And so this was, he really stood out here. It was rare because, and hair at this time was seen as a sign of virility, of, of strength. Think of Absalom. Remember Nate's sermon on Absalom? It was a big deal. They have this thick hair that was considered a sign of, of virility, right? So they're actually using his baldness to attack his power. That's what they're really saying here. They're calling him a wimp. A wimp. But who are they really mocking? God. They're mocking Jehovah. They're mocking God's power. His word that Elisha spoke. That's who they're really mocking. They're really rejecting Jehovah. This attack on this bald prophet was a bold attack on Jehovah's power. I'm going to say it again. The attack on this bald prophet is really an attack... a A a bold attack on Jehovah's power. So what does God do? He sends a couple of hairy bears to show them his power. (laughs) 
He uses his bald prophet to send a couple of hairy bears to show him what his, his power really looks like. And let's look at verse 24. You talk about the bad news bears here. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. This was an old little group. Think about how many youths were gathered around him mocking him. It was a mob, a youth mob, right? And they were mocking him. And now, so... Elisha calls down the curse and God sends the bears, hairy bears, right? This is probably a shock to some people who, in our culture today, who only hear positive messages how God is love, right? It's probably a shock to a lot of people when they read this passage or hear this story. All they hear is God is love. And in our culture today, in churches today, we are told that in the Old Testament, God was mean. But now in the New Testament, we have a new improved God. A God who has evolved out of his mean state. Jesus helped him along with this, right? And, and, and some people think Mary helps him along with it too, but and we won't go there. But anyway, it, 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 he's evolved here. But listen, the God of Elisha is the father of Jesus Christ. It's the same God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Just read the book of Revelation. It's the same God. Hebrews 10.31 says this. For it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's New Testament. New Testament. It's the same same God. Jehovah God is a holy God. He's a holy God. Yeah, loving for sure. Loving. But we always need to preach his holiness first. Because he's holy before he is loving. Understand that. The, the, the attribute of holiness and his justice come first. The love follows that. And he will not be mocked. This holy God will not be mocked. And it's the same with his prophets and his word. He will not let them be mocked. Yes, he is loving. We believe that very strongly, don't we? That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to satisfy his holiness. And to satisfy his justice. He did that because he loves us. He loves us. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. I preach it every Sunday, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves us so much that he gave his only son to be tortured. To die on a cross in our place. To pay the penalty for our crime for our sin what we deserve that's what communion is all about the body and the blood that's why he sent his son jesus christ but if we reject his gift of love and this is what people don't talk about much if we reject his gift of love if we reject his son's sacrifice john three sixteen is followed very closely by john three thirty six. in john three thirty six, it says whoever believes in the son has life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Imagine if you were a scientist and you found the cure for the coronavirus. Imagine that. And I get here, they're very close, actually. I'm very hopeful. In fact, uh, the, the Israeli scientists apparently have already have a cure. Just got to be approved. So uh, very, very interesting, right? But imagine if you were a, a scientist and you found the cure for the coronavirus. 
But in order for this cure to work, I was trying to think of a picture here that represented what Jesus did for us. But in order for this cure to work, you must first inject a human being with the cure, with the, with the serum, with the cure, which would then painfully kill that person. But then you could take that person's blood and use it to cure everybody else. Everybody else. And so you need to find someone to do it. And, and time is short and you're in your lab working and you need to find someone and you, your son. Volunteers. The only one around in this lab. He volunteers to, 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 to die. To take this, this treatment so that his blood can be used. And it breaks your heart, right? If you're that scientist, it would break your heart. But you and your son decide to go ahead with it. And then you take this blood and you offer it as a cure. I found the cure. You put it out there. You post it on the web. You have a, 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 a call the news in and you have a press conference and you're, you're putting the word out. I've got a cure. And there's a lot of some excitement bubbling. But most of the media attacks you. You couldn't have found that cure. That's not going to work. And many of the religious leaders attack you. You, this isn't how you cure this. You can't kill somebody and take their blood. That's, that's not right. And they start to attack you that it won't work. And not only that, most people end up mocking you. You get all this, you know, your, your, your Twitter and everything comes back. You're getting mock, mock, mock. Uh, we, we don't have, we don't have this virus. We won't catch it. We don't need your cure. We can do it our way. We'll find something that CBD works somehow. We're gonna find it our way. <laughs> Let's not go there. We're gonna do it our way. How would you feel? How would you feel? Yeah, some people accept it and take it, but the vast majority don't. Because wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. How would you feel? You would be mad. You would be angry. Right? After what you sacrificed, after who you sacrificed, how mad would you be? They would have no excuse, right? You'd be angry and they would have no excuse for what they do, for what they die of. If we reject God's mercy and grace, there will be hell to pay. Elisha's bad news bears are a prophetic warning for us today. Mock God at your own risk. This is a prophetic picture of the book of Revelation. God is warning the world today. You don't have to be a genius to see this. He is warning the world today. We are seeing the birth pains increasing. Remember birth pains, Matthew 24, we talked about it. The, the things that happen are getting more intense and closing together. We are seeing birth pains, the coronavirus and all the other things, the, the fires 
here in Australia, the, the grasshoppers eating all the food in Africa, unbelievable. The, the earthquakes, a lot of these little earthquakes everywhere, the, the political turmoil, talk about earthquakes, the political turmoil all over the world, the weather, what's going on with the weather, things are heating up, right? Hey, read the book of Revelation. It's going, there's going to be global warming, all right, and God is going to have his hand on the thermostat. And nobody's going to fix it with human effort. Those who mock God and his son, Jesus Christ, pay the ultimate price. Galatians 6, and this is his warning, Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8 says this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. I'm going to read that again. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. We, in your bulletin, there's an insert. And I put this as one of the key points on that, that God cannot be mocked. We reap what we sow. Galatians 6, 7 to 8. We are seeing this, we know it's true, but we're seeing this, this horror movie playing out before our very eyes in the United States as we have mocked God and turned our back on God and his word and, and mocked the prophets of God. We're seeing this played out before our very eyes. The, the younger generation, what's happening with our younger generation? The distorted minds, the craziness that we're seeing. Not those who follow Christ, but those who don't know Christ and have rejected and mocked him. It, we're, we're seeing that they have rejected Christ and they are, they are reaping what they sow. They are killing themselves through drug overdoses and suicides at a shocking rate. More people died of drug overdoses, self-inflicted drug overdoses last year than died in the entire Vietnam War. And it's not slowing down. We are reaping what we sow. There's a worse, there's a worse, it's worse than a killer virus. We're, all, we're so concerned about the coronavirus, and we should be. Thank, thank, thankfully, we are concerned about that. But it's worse than any bl- black plague could be. This is a spiritual virus that is killing us, killing us physically and spiritually, killing our younger generation spiritually and physically, killing them. It's a warning to us. Will we respond to God's prophetic warnings from Elisha? Or will our country and much of the church continue to mock God? Will we accept his gift of his son, Jesus Christ, Will we accept the death on the cross to pay for our sin? Jesus died on that cross to to satisfy God's justice and to pay for our sin, our crime. He, He took our place if we will put our faith in him. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We... Will we accept the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, that death on the cross, to pay for our sins? Will we put our faith in him or will we reject God's love, God's love and reap God's just wrath? What will we do? 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 to 10. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 to 10, it says this. I'm going to start halfway through verse uh, 7 where it says, This will happen. 
This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Will we reject the gospel of Jesus Christ? There's a message here too. I'm going to tie it together in this verse here. There's a message too for us who have put our faith in Jesus. There's a message for us too who are disciples of Jesus Christ. Like Elisha, we're going to be mocked. Many of you have already been mocked. Like Elisha, we will be mocked. We will be persecuted. Elisha is a type of the apostles, right? And a type of us too. It's a picture of what we're going to go through. In Revelation, I mentioned Revelation before, it's going to get hot for the world, but it's going to get hot for us too. It already is for Christians in much of the world. Look what's happening in China. And not just the virus, I'm talking about the persecution. Look what's happening in Africa. Look what's happening in the Middle East to the Christians, the true Christians. Look what's happening to them. It's going to get hot. It's going to, it's, it's going to get hot. But listen to what the Holy Spirit says to us too. Back to 2 Thessalonians, but this time I'm going to start in, in verse 4. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 4. Now listen to this from a Christian perspective. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith. Remember those two words. Perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Connected to Elisha. And the bears, right? God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. Now catch this. We already read this. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed, this includes you because you have believed our testimony to you. And this, this, this is the second point in your outline. And I, and I titled this, Don't Mess With God or Mess With God's People. Now, I actually got that, I borrowed that from an a, a unknown theologian in our church. I actually got the, this line from someone in our church. If you can guess who it is, there's a big money prize, but spouses don't count. So if you come up and you can figure out who, give me the, give me the name, you get a big money prize. But uh, this was a great line I was sharing with this person. It's going to be hard to preach about this bear thing. And he said, and he gave me a great line, don't mess with God's people. Don't mess with God or with God's people. God will punish those Now remember this, God will punish those who persecute us and all who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. God will punish and he will rescue us and reward us for our faith and perseverance. The faith and perseverance. He's going to reward us. It's either going to be in heaven, 
because we've been killed. Read the book of Revelation. A lot of us won't, won't make it through. It's either going to be in heaven or those who make it through the second coming or if you, whatever you believe about the rapture, we don't go there. It's a whole other sermon. But heaven or the second coming, but he will reward us. And the great thing about this passage here is we are going to win. So start winning now. Once again, it's in your outline. We are going to win. And my theologian also gave me part of this too. Very helpful. We are going to win. So start winning now. We can live victorious Christian lives no matter what we are going through. No matter what we are facing. Whether it's blessing, whether it's trials, whether it's getting everything we ever could dream of or everything taken away from us, it doesn't matter. We can live a victorious Christian life now. This is what the, the main message out of this with Elisha is. Him calling down the curses. We have the power. We're not supposed to be cursing people with rabid bears, but, but we, God's handling all that part of it, but we have spiritual power to overcome. That's what, I mentioned Revelation, that's what Revelation 12, verse 10 is talking about. In Revelation 12, he says, uh, verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Here we go. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. That's what communion is all about, the blood of Jesus Christ, the body of Jesus Christ. It's a reminder of our victory in Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate it. It's a reminder that we can live in victory. That's what I want us to focus on, this communion service here. That when we take the bread and we take the cup, remember the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that paid for our sin, that took our punishment. And if we put our faith in him, we can, we can be forgiven. We can be given a brand new life. John three sixteen for God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you believed in Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Or are we still under God's wrath? Verse 36. Whoever believes in the son has life. Whoever rejects the son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. We can put our faith. If you've never done that. You can put your faith in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ right now. It's a prayer of faith. Whoever believes in him, that word believe means to put your faith in. In the Greek, it's a deep word for faith. Have you, you can do that right now. And as Christians, this is a reminder, once again, that we have victory in Jesus. We heard the song earlier. We have victory in Jesus through our daily faith. Just as we're saved by faith, that's how we live in victory, is by faith. It's daily faith. Galatians 2.20. These are all in your insert there. You can look them up and, and, and memorize these. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are saved by faith. We live by faith in Jesus Christ. Are we living in victory? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> but are we living in victory? Or better yet, what is one area of our life that we're not experiencing our full victory that we should be experiencing? Will we come to Jesus? This is what communion is all about, connecting to Jesus, coming to Jesus, spending time. Will we come to Jesus daily? It's not, this is just getting us started. Communion is for every day, connecting with God every day. Will we come to Jesus daily in faith and say, Jesus, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm depending completely on you for this battle, for this temptation, for this trial, to fulfill my purpose, to live in victory. I'm, I can't do it. I'm depending completely on you, on your mercy and grace. That's what communion is all about. Remembering what Jesus did for us and how we need his grace. In just a moment, I'm just going to pray. And after that, uh, we'll open up the communion table. You can just come up and, and take the bread and take the cup and back and, and up here, wherever you, if you want to pray with someone, we always have a prayer team up here. Uh, during the communion, after, during the worship, after the service, you ever want prayer, you'll see some guy, people standing up in the corner, and I'll usually over in the other corner. We're always available to pray. We'll stay as long as you need. But, but, when you're ready, you can take the communion. But there's two reasons why we shouldn't take it. Number one, if we're not a Christian yet, we're not, we haven't put our faith in Jesus Christ yet. We shouldn't take it. Just wait. Just, nobody's video, nobody's paying attention. It's, just, it's between you and God. Just wait. Or if there's a sin in our life, there's something in our life that we're not willing to surrender. Not saying struggle with. <laughs> we wouldn't have to bother with this, would we? But something we're not willing to surrender. Say, God, I need you. I can't do it. If we're not willing to pray that prayer, then don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. But I hope everybody here does take it because you all can. We can all put our faith in Christ and surrender to him whatever he's calling us to surrender. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, and while we're all praying about these things, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? What area of life in our, in our life are we not living in victory? Or how is God calling us to even more holiness? More victory. More dependence. More joy. More peace. More love. More burden for the lost. How is God calling us to live by faith and victory? Not perfect lives, but, but peace, no matter what we're facing. And while we're praying about that, maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never acted on God's love. Maybe you need to take the first step, by, first step of putting your faith in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Maybe you're here today and you need to pray the prayer of faith. 
the prayer of salvation, the simple prayer. God, please forgive me. I repent of all my sin. I repent of all my rebellion. I turn away from my old life. Please forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe he died for me. I believe he gave his blood to cure me. I won't reject him any longer. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to you, God. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, you can now take communion. And even way bigger, you can come and commune with God anytime, every day, for anything. And if you have taken that step of faith, I want to encourage you to let somebody know. I always like to hear about it. Tell me, text me, call me, email me, tell me on the way out. Or tell maybe you're here with a family member or a friend. Tell somebody. Don't let the day end before you tell somebody the great news. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way through this time of communion. Pray it in Jesus' name.